I'm Shannon. I'm Mark. And this is Dirt Sailor, the podcast. You can find us on Podbean, Apple, and Spotify. We also have Facebook and Instagram pages under Dirt Sailor Podcast. Happy Throat Punch Thursday. Well, happy Throat Punch Thursday. Yes, we are sitting out here on the ocean in our little 25-foot boat enjoying a few days off. On the ocean, you say? On the ocean, we say, well, we're in a bay, Catalina Island, but kind of. I would say that's the ocean. Still salt water and still part of the ocean, so yeah. Still salty. Still salty. Yeah. So how are you? I'm doing all right. Good. Yeah. So where are we headed tonight? So we can... Start by talking about something that has happened in Fresno. Do you know who Mackenzie Scott is? I do not. She is the ex-wife of Jeff Bezos. The Jeff Bezos? The Jeff Bezos. They divorced wow. a couple years back, and she took her half of their money it's it was their money because she was there before he was a billionaire and she was a billionaire too she put her herself into the business a lot of people seem to lose that little fact oh they they lose sight of the fact that she was an equal partner in that business they do because all you hear is jeff bezos and everybody assumes she took him for his money but well of course she is a philanthropist, and she has held a press conference announcing that the McKinsey Scott Foundation is donating $20 million to the Fresno Unified School District. Wow. Yes. That, tie, that ties right into what we talked about last week about the underfunding of Fresno Unified and how the students would probably do much better if they had as much money as some of the other districts. And it sounds like they're going to get a leg up as long as it's utilized properly. Yes, absolutely. So there's one, one good area. It shows that how money, well, hopefully will be turned for good. We presume good things out of this donation, but money being turned for, for good. Absolutely. That is so awesome. My goodness. I like that. I like that. Fre- Me too. Fresno. Fresno has so many famous people. Famous both ways. Famous for good and famous for not so good. It's amazing what happens in our community. It is. It is amazing what does happen in our community, and I do like it when we have a good story. Absolutely. A good story to tell. I'm sure you're going to back that up with a not-so-good story. (laughs) Let's just stick with there's no other news that happened in the last week, and thank you and good night. (laughs) Awesome. Have a great evening. (laughs) Have a great morning, a great afternoon, a great day. Just think about only the good things that happened. Absolutely. Well, I guess one good thing that happened was a Colorado teen was found alive, and the police do not believe that she was held against her will. Oh? How long was she missing for? She was missing for around 10 days, I think. 
Well, I'm glad that she is fine. That's yep. definitely a positive outcome. Because unfortunately, in the world of bad news, we have had not so positive outcomes with missing people. And Merced, they had a family of four related individuals who were found deceased thanks to a former employee who decided to take out his anger management issues on this family. And it wasn't the first time that he has taken out issues on his employers or ex-employers families. So in the world of bad, it is nice when something good does come out. Something good does happen. Absolutely. And it's unfortunate that this gentleman did that, or I wouldn't call him a gentleman. It's unfortunate he did that. And apparently his brother was arrested as well within the last few days as an accessory. Yes. Yes. Yep. And this guy has, the last time he committed his crimes against his ex-employer, he didn't kill the family, but this time apparently he decided to kill the family. They happened to be immigrants. At least one of them was an immigrant from India. The other was also, the, so it was a husband, a wife, a brother, and an eight-month-old baby. The eight-month-old baby, I believe, was born here in the United States. And then the family, other family members were born in India. And it sounds like one had status to petition for the other to come here. I'm not sure if it was the husband or the wife, but then they were recent immigrants to the United States as well. Wow. And they had a trucking business, and this guy was a former employee and just took out his anger management issues, among other things, his homicidal issues on the family. That's unfortunate. Yeah, that, that we have so of, that we have so much kind of crime like that across America. It's terrible. It is. It really is. So I guess our Texas governor is being criticized for for what this time? He's not being criticized. He is criticizing the New York City mayor Eric Adams for ticketing buses that are carrying migrants to New York. Yeah, I heard that they were looking for said buses, and then they're going over them with a fine-tooth comb, trying to find a reason to ticket them from the windshield wipers are out of alignment to, you know, blinker fluid or (laughs) just really anything they could possibly think of. Not just like they did something illegal, you know, an illegal speeding or failure to use a turn signal while driving they are going over the buses with a fine tooth comb in an attempt to find anything to ticket them for well it's interesting that 17,000 migrants are sparking a shelter crisis and he's saying that the migrants from texas are going to cost the city of new york about one billion dollars they must have sent a whole bunch of migrants there because a billion dollars is a lot of money but they're criticizing him because he's a Republican governor, yet they're not criticizing the Democratic mayor of El Paso, who has sent more migrants to New York City than Abbott has. Abbott as, a, as the whole of the, being the governor of the state, instead a small town, well not really a small town, but a mayor in Texas is doing the same thing, but that's not problematic. 
Right. Well, you know what? The mayor is asking the question, are you a sanctuary city or are you not? If you're a sanctuary city, then it shouldn't matter how many migrants are sent there. You should be willing to adjust and take them in. Problem is, they have a homeless issue there as well, and a migrant issue, and an un- unemployment issue. So it's a sum total of the parts. They just have problems that they've created and they don't know how to solve now. That is true. And as well as other states, California has problems. We've been creating our own problems. And I guess in a way, we've been creating our own problems, so we don't need the problems somebody else is gifting to us, so to speak. But the reality is, who needs those problems? No one. The federal government should be doing its job, which is to secure the borders, and then it would be less problematic. I'm not saying it would be zero. It's never going to be zero. People, unless all of a sudden people are fleeing the United States in droves and nobody wants to come here, it's never going to be zero. Well, since I'm sitting on a boat in the ocean, we can use a boat as an analogy. If you have a boat that has one small hole in it, you simply put a plug in it or you patch that hole. If you have a boat that has a hole the size of a football field, there's no patching that hole. Unless you use the full force of, like you said, the federal government, which is in its entirety their job to secure that border. So they need to plug those leaks, secure the border, and then do the immigration thing illegally. And if they're not happy with the laws, let Congress go in and rewrite laws and let the president sign it into law. Right. And something that was... I just found when looking up some of our immigration-related issues would be that we are getting a larger amount of non-contiguous illegal immigration. So what does that mean? That means that people from somewhere that has to ride a plane, somewhere that has to go by boat, India being a big one, we have an unprecedented number of people who are coming through the southern border, who are not from Mexico or anywhere in South America. They're not from any North, Central, or South America. They do not, you know, not by birthright, anything. They are coming from India. They are coming from other countries. They are landing south of the United States, and then they are attempting to penetrate through the southern border unlawfully. And we are seeing more than 16,000 people who were taken into custody by CBP. It contained a record number of Indian migrants along with others. But yeah, the previous record high for India was 9,000. And now we're at over 16,000. Now we're at over 16,000. And isn't it one of the hardest groups? to get into America legally and to get citizenship and work visas and such is the Filipino population? So the Philippine would be one of the hardest ones to get in. China's difficult. India is difficult as well. Mexico is difficult um, because in our limitations for visas, they limitate the sheer number of visas per category that somebody is going to come over on. So if you have a bachelor's degree or higher 
typically filed under the H-1B visa program, they limit the overall number of visas that they're going to make available, and then they limit each country to a certain percentage. If it goes over a certain percentage of those visas, they cap them and they make them wait longer. So they, because they don't want one, say one country to take up all of the visas. They want to give opportunity to other countries. Philippines, especially in the family-based program, uh, they're waiting decades. You have India waiting quite a long time to China Mexico. So you just, you end up with these groups of people who are considered overrepresented in population. And so they end up waiting longer. Well, it sounds like we need to maybe look at shutting down the borders totally and doing the math and looking at the death of Americans versus the amount of people coming in and make sure we don't come up with a number like India and China and other countries that may be overpopulated as it is and that we don't want to stuff our country full of so many people that nobody's able to succeed and we just become miserable just like other countries and we become a poorer nation. Yeah, we would definitely, it would behoove us to look at what areas we need to basically put a stop to so we're gonna have to it it takes time we would have to put a stop look at it and then reopen and decide it's not a no forever it's a no for a specific period of time that way we can see who who what when where why how we need to see who we can let in when we can let them in and if our numbers are incorrect because congress is the one that sets the numbers So it is possible that we have some visa categories that are way too low and some visa categories that are way too high. So it's not just a a one-way, you know, stop at all, but we do need to look at the over and underrepresented populations. And if we, we also need to look back at why the Philippines is such an uh, overrepresented population, if you will, in the family-based community. Look at our history as a whole, and then reassess how many visas that will allow in those categories. Absolutely, I agree one hundred percent. Because just for the listeners who may not know, the Philippines used to be a U.S. territory. That was um, around World War II. And just before World War II, and then before that, it was a Japanese territory. They had a lot of occupation. But with the U.S. making it a territory, we had people who were born there who became citizens by birth, had other family members. And then after 1946, when they became an independent nation, that automatic birthright citizenship stopped. But you still had people who were already citizens, so that kind of split families. And so we have to look at that. And then over the years, it's made the split even wider. So when family members attempt to immigrate, we get overrepresented because there was this time that they were part of the U.S. And then it again, it split up families in the sense that some family members could come to the United States and some couldn't. So it's definitely something to look into. There's a lot of history there. 
Well, it sounds like potentially they should have stayed a territory. It would have been much simpler for them to gain U.S. citizenship. Well, that's if they wanted it, but they wanted to be an independent nation, which I definitely respect. But then some of the family members that wanted to immigrate. So it's a lot of of family that wants to immigrate and it takes time to get with their, get back with their family members. Yeah, it does. And to go on a little side story, one of the immigration related issues that I would work with a lot in Hawaii was whether or not somebody had birthright citizenship. And then we had to like walk it back. Who was their family? How long were they there? Did they get the citizenship from their parents? So a lot of those people that the children are still alive today. And so then they wanted to pass it along the citizenship to their children, but then they didn't live in the United States long enough. So it's just kind of interesting at which point did it stop? It went to some children, but it didn't go to the grandchildren, so to speak. So a lot of those individuals it, are the ones trying to immigrate. Isn't it amazing how difficult governments make things? They make them very difficult. They make them very difficult and make it very hard for employees that are handled, that are um, tasked with handling those skills. Uh, very hard for them to do their job, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes. The long and the short of it is it's very difficult administration by administration because the rules could potentially change every four years. So then you're continuously dealing with that. Then you're dealing with things that are, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years old, which some of the current sitting congressmen and senators have no idea even exist. That is absolutely correct. And then what you're you're pointing to every four years, somebody reinterprets something. That's something that we're seeing now, and we do see it every four to eight years, that our, um, the interpretations change. The law hasn't changed. Someone has just decided they either do or don't want to enforce something. So under President Obama, um, he implemented what he called the DACA program, which was Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. I was actually working for immigration at the time that this was implemented. And it went through the court system on whether or not he actually had the ability to do what he did, which was essentially hand out work permits to people who were unlawfully residing in the United States as long as they met certain criteria that he essentially made up, which was you're over the age of 16, and then they started saying whether or not you graduated from high school or went to college or had certain proficiencies, who your family was, how you came over, etc. So they just basically made up a bunch of rules and then decided to give work permits for it. Um, But a federal appeals court has recently determined that he did not, Obama, he did not have the authority to institute the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. But this particular appeals court did not um, dismantle the program itself. So the immigrants who received this, the work permit, basically, the immigrants who received it, they get to keep their work permits and still continue to reside in the U.S. And it was the Fifth Circuit um, that ordered that new changes by the Biden administration be put under review. So, because the Biden administration wanted to expand it. Trump wanted to dismantle it. And so a lot of what happened is it got put on hold. Trump couldn't dismantle it. 
and then Biden gets back in, or I would say gets back into office. He was the VP and now he's the president. But gets into office and tries to expand the program. But the panel ruled that the U.S. government cannot process new applications, just continue the ones they already processed. And see, that is where we are a nation of laws, or we're supposed to be, and we should follow the laws. And if they want to change the laws, they should not have somebody just make something up. They need to do some legitimate research, see what's in the best interest of the person, see what's in the best interest of the country, and then come up with a policy that fits. Unfortunately, Absolutely. you have two different mindsets if you have a D or an R after your name. And you have subsets within the D and the R where some agree, some don't, both ways across the aisle. So it makes it difficult for people that want to move here or that are here because they have no idea what rule or what policy, what law these senators and congressmen are going to come up with. Yeah, I... So one thing that really bothered me about the program, having worked under it, is each week they would hold um, teleconferences and change whatever rules they made up because they found big holes in their, you know, whatever they thought. And so then they would try to make up the rules a little bit more. So each week was about how we could reinterpret and make up the rules as we went. And I, I really disliked that that was how they went forward because Congress is supposed to make the laws. And as you said, whether you have a D or an R, you have these subset of laws that you want to follow or not follow, or we'll just set them aside when it's irritating or annoying, or I just don't like them. And if we all just decided not to follow certain laws when we didn't like them and were in charge, what kind of people would we be? You know, I just, I, that was something that I had a really hard time getting behind. It's like, we have a law. Let's go with it. We don't like it. Congress is the exact people <laughs> to change it. But we've lost that expectation that Congress would do their job. Whether you have long a deal time, or not. A long time ago. Yeah, long time ago. Yeah, it's very unfortunate that we're in a societal evolution that this stuff is taking place like this and nobody wants to help really fix it. They just want to go with status quo and continually complain about how the system's broke, but not actually get all together as one and actually solve the issue. That makes me wonder about countries like Australia who have totally different immigration laws. Matter of fact, unless they've changed it, I don't believe you can become an Australian citizen. If you can now, it's very, very strict. So that probably takes a lot of this out of the mix. For the different countries, yes. Yes. I do know that some countries, in order to try and spark um, more visitors or longer-term visitors, because they think that in this digital nomad world, that if they can say, okay, you make so much money, you can come here, so that way we'll spend into their economy. Depending on the country, some will, because it's about the money, but some will say, okay, if you make so many thousands of dollars a month, you can come here for six months, a year, or longer. And in some cases, they're encouraging people to get long-term visas, which used to not be the case. But it's special visas for people who are considered to have enough money. So it is about the money for these other countries because you'll spend there and potentially pay taxes depending on how long you're there for. But 
money does seem to rule just a little bit in these other countries, but you don't have money if you're just a regular schmo. And in the case of a lot of the um, people from India who are coming up through the southern border, they're economic migrants as well. And so a lot of other countries don't want economic migrants. They want people who are going to contribute from the start. So that is a difference in the United States where we're not just saying you have to be wealthy to come here and we'll accept you. Right. But there still has to be limits, which right now we're not quite sure where that's at. Yeah, they need to pick a number, pick a pick a time, pick an amount of people and come up with some term limits. <laughs> well, that is term true. Term limits for everything. Yeah. Term limits for all. Come on, come on, have a all. Term. Come on, come on. That's right. That is right. So what else is going on in this world? Okay, so something we talked about last week was the juvenile in Los Angeles who was the hit-and-run driver. He ran over a mom and a baby. He was up yes. for early release. Even though he didn't actually get that much time in juvenile detention, he was up for early release, and we talked about that. Well, at this time, the judge has not given him early release. So oh, good. He will, he will have to spend more time showing that he is a changed individual. So the DA down there, Gascon, is not going to win on that one, huh? He is not going to win on that one because whoever went up for, for his office and said that he was a good kid and the probation department who said they had good meetings, it wasn't bought basically by the judge because he had too many negative interactions in juvenile hall and the probation department couldn't find specific instances to show that he was changed. They were merely saying he's a changed kid. Let him out. So also in LA, there was an LAPD officer who was investigating other officers in this particular case for sexual assault, but he was, he took a complaint and then was investigating other officers. Apparently they had a training exercise for the LAPD and he was killed or he at least died of his injuries while in training. And the family of this officer is suing the police department for wrongful death because they claim that one of the individuals who accidentally injured him was an individual who is being investigated by him. Oh, go figure. Yeah, he supposedly had a bicycle training accident, which somehow ended up involving a grappling exercise in which he had to fight off multiple individuals. And the family says that he was beaten to death by the other officers in the training drill. But the county medical examiner said it was an accident. Uh huh. Well, the CME was uh, friends with the other officers. How convenient. Yes. So they're still investigating whether one of the officers, at least one of the officers that he was investigating, was a part of his accidental injuring. Wow. Too many accidents happen. A lot of accidents. Kind of weird. <laughs> Amazing. 
Well, there was a Texas couple found murdered in their home recently. Really? And a relative a relative has been taken into taken into custody. Yeah, both deaths were ruled a homicide, according to the county medical examiner's office. And they have arrested a relative. And the deceased, uh, Mike Scarlett, I believe is his name. Uh, he was a screenwriter and an actor. And his uh, film debut, his film that he just finished was debuting uh, here pretty soon in a few days. And the film was called The Cabin. It was supposed to be really good. Well, unfortunately, now um, he's gone. So is his wife. That's really sad. Yeah, it's just another one of those cases where we talk uh, week after week of another family being murdered in America by relatives, non-relatives, people from this country, people from outside the country. And we do nothing about it. We continue to do uh, zero bail releases. We continue to allow criminals to roam the streets. The crime is getting worse and worse. And I hope that coming up pretty soon, we get some new leadership in offices across the country and we start hammering this thing down and putting a stop to it. Yeah, we can definitely, I, I believe we can say that we're not doing it right and we need to fix it because they said zero money bail would equalize things and make things better. It didn't work. It didn't just make people realize that, oh, I can be a good person now. So let's, uh, how about let's work on fixing our issues instead of continuing to add just. Well, they're looking at this. They're looking at this from a touchy-feely point of view. Have people in America been wronged over the years? Absolutely. Have different ethnic groups been picked on over others? Quite possibly throughout our history. But it's not just one ethnic group that's been isolated and picked on. It's been multiple throughout time. Yeah, and if you want to look at just the United States, we can pick different groups that have been picked on throughout just our short history, too. Not Absolutely, but deciding that you're going to right that wrong by allowing criminals to continue to roam the streets and not hold them accountable is not a solution. Isn't that like the inmates running the asylum? Yes, that's absolutely my phrase continuously. That right now, right is wrong, wrong is right, and we have inmates running the asylum. You, you, you can't fix it if you continue to let them roam the streets. You can't fix homeless if your only solution is to go buy them, you know, a tough shed or a, a 10 by 12 box or a little 6 by 8 tent and open up methadone clinics across America thinking that allowing someone to go to a clinic every week and inject something that is worse than the actual drug that they're addicted to. We're never going to find a solution for any of this mess. Right. In San Francisco, it's a needle swap. So you can still do the mind altering drugs. You can have, I mean, I just, I was driving today and there was a, a billboard about using and I apologize if I get the pronunciation wrong, but naloxone, 
I believe is what you use when you have an OD. So it was an advertisement for it. It was like if you're ODing, you know, it, or if someone you know is ODing, you need this drug to save them. And I'm like, this is where we're at right now is the expectation, not really the expectation, but that that we, regular normal members of society, not just medical providers or EMTs, et cetera, um, but we need to know how to treat overdoses because we're not treating people for drugs and drug abuse. We're saying to keep abusing drugs. We're okaying it. So now everybody needs to know how to save someone who is ODing. So now they have billboards and advertisements essentially teaching you how to save someone because that's where we're at right now. And so then it goes into housing too, because we've been told that the the solution is to provide housing. But then if you provide housing, you still have a drug problem. If you provide housing, you still have other mental health issues that are not being addressed. So (laughs) we're going to keep with the having housing issues, the homeless problem, the drug abuse, and continue. I wonder how psychiatrists and psychologists feel. You never hear their perspective, their point of view. Hey, we really need to get these people in for treatment. You know, where's the television, the radio, and the news advertisement for that? Right. Hey, this this group of people. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You know, them coming out and saying, hey, these people don't need a, a little wooden tough shed. They don't need a Sears shed or a Lowe's shed. They need to be put into an institution so we can treat them. We can heal them, and they can actually go into an apartment, a house, mobile home, whatever, as a productive member of society, not as a person that is in a box and is allowed to go to a corner clinic and get a shot of the drug that is that has addicted them. Right. That's the, not the fix. That's the not tens the fix. of thousands of dollars that they spent on tents, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. Yes. Also wasn't the solution. Tens of thousands nope. of dollars per tent, not the solution. We are we are currently, I'm sure, into the billions of dollars. You know, just like the poor country of Haiti, countries from around the world. You know that that should be a microcosm or a little model of how cash flow doesn't work if it's not put into the right areas. We we along with other countries around the world have spent billions of dollars there. And they're still one of the most crime-riddled countries in the entire world. And there's still no solution at hand for them. Take away all the natural disasters. There's still no fix for portions of that country. So I don't know about you, but for me, um, I've had issues in the past where I thought that if I just made you know, X, Y, Z amount of money more than what I was making that my problems would be solved. But it didn't stop me from spending it kind of on bad things or on the wrong things and still kind of ending up in a situation where I was going into debt, living paycheck to paycheck and not really solving my problems. And even when I made a little bit more money, it still didn't seem to solve all my problems. But I feel like we do that in 
government and here in the U.S. where we say, well, if we just throw a little bit more money at it, the problem will fix itself. But we're not well, spending it right, so it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't well, work. Well, and that's their that's their issue. Is number one, it's not their money to be thrown at these problems. They continuously True. tax people True. to no end, and then they spend their money like drunken individuals. If that's it, used to be drunken, drunken sailors. sailors. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna drunken use that because <laughs> I'm a sailor and I'm not a drunk. But, but they just spend and spend and spend, like we said, and it doesn't fix it. So. Well, we're thirty-one uh-huh. trillion dollars in debt as a country. That's our nation's uh, gross national debt, and all of our problems have not been fixed. Not one has been fixed. As a matter of fact, most are probably worse now than they were before we started spending all that money. Right, and we just keep going into debt, and we say if we spend more debt, if we increase the debt limit, because that's one thing that they do is Congress just puts up a debt ceiling, and then they argue and fight, and they raise the debt ceiling, and they argue and fight, and they say it's a crisis, and they raise the debt ceiling. None of that. We haven't spent into not being in debt. We haven't spent the magical number, done the magical thing that stops us from going into debt. Isn't that weird? Like they told us if we just raise the debt ceiling, somehow we'll hit the magic number and we'll quit going into debt, but we haven't. I'm, su- I'm surprised somebody hasn't put those into memes and, and little short uh, skits on YouTube or some of the other social media outlets of every time that they have said that. And show a history of the debt, show a history of the debt climbing, and look at videos of how terrible San Fran is, how filthy Detroit is, how filthy most of uh, areas of Los Angeles are, how terrible it is in certain parts of, you know, other states, and say, well, this is what your $31 trillion in debt gets you. It gets you a country in decline. It gets you a bunch of people in charge that shouldn't be in charge. It gets rails in Hawaii that don't work. You know, bullet rails trains Cali- to nowhere. California yes, bullet trains bu- to nowhere. Yes, bullet trains to nowhere. So the New York right. Post just estimated that the all of the, the relief programs for COVID, all of the COVID relief funds, that there's approximately $600 billion that has gone to fraud. And so clearly just throwing the money at a program, spending on something else did not fix it. And we keep, this is just one of the recent programs. We've had lots of programs, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars stolen here, billions of dollars stolen there. And our solution is spend more. Mm-hmm. debt ceiling higher and i i would love to see the meme behind how many times like we would get out of debt if we only did whatever absolutely and we'd never see it just remember i didn't vote for the current guy in office so most of these problems can be handed off to him and he definitely isn't the solution no he's not he's been in the government for decades and so he was never the solution no nope. no nope. He was going to reach across the aisle and make us sing Kumbaya and all get along. And somehow we get the evil MAGA Republicans and the evil, evil people and the we need to go aways. And if you only did what I say, somehow that still hasn't gotten us to a solution. 
And it never will. No. Okay, so let's touch on, I'm going to segue here, let's touch on the New Orleans mayor, which we talked about, speaking of money and misspent money. So she's agreed that she's going to pay back the $30,000 that she spent on first-class flights. No word on if she's going to repay the rent that she used by staying for free in New Orleans housing. But apparently she has agreed that she'll pay it back. Well, somebody within her own circle must have gotten to her and told her, if you ever plan on running for re-election, or you want to make yourself look better, you might want to pay that money back. Yeah. Well, maybe she should have used um, Biden's money, you know, his wallet. Because according to Politico, DeSantis being a critic of Biden at nearly every policy front, but he likes Biden's wallet. And he has received billions of dollars in federal cash relief from Biden's wallet. I thought that was quite interesting that Biden, in fact, has a wallet. He's got a pretty big wallet. I want to thank him for that. Yeah. Since when is it Biden's wallet? Maybe that's what she should have said. It's Biden's money, so it's okay to spend. Yeah. Like you said, I thought it was the people's money. Yep. Wow. But continuing on the the Biden front, so Biden has spent something like 30% 30 of his time in Delaware. I think it's over 200 days now that he has actually spent in Delaware, and he'll talk about how he's doing working trips or he's going to meet with people. And uh, so it's kind of a working trip. But so he spent more than 200 days of his presidency in Delaware. But the government, Secret Service, and anyone who's supposed to be doing any record keeping is not keeping any record of who Biden meets with, even though technically he's on the job. So he goes there and he has a third of his presidency thus far in which he does not have to account for his days and his meetings. So then I wonder how we're going to hold him to account for that when we hold other presidents accountable for things of the same sort. Yep, we do. We've held, you know, Presidents going back, Trump, Biden, Bush, Clinton, Bush again, Reagan, that, you know, they had to turn over all of this information. They called it uh, presidential records and public records and all of that. But somehow he gets a free pass on 200 days of his going to his personal home. Well, hopefully somebody's actually secretly recording the conversations and taking notes. So America's not left in the dark and we're actually able to um, know what exactly he was doing this whole time. Right, because I thought when you were elected, I mean, that's part of you running, is you pretty much give up your personal time and everything, according to the lawsuits that we're seeing and the raid on Mar-a-Lago, everything is considered Presidential Records Act and NARA owns it, the National Archives owns it. But yet, somehow, nobody's responsible for keeping track of what this president is doing during a third of his presidency thus far. Well, truth be told, maybe we don't want to know what he's doing. 
eating ice cream, napping, sniffing children. That's probably why there's no records to keep because he's probably just sleeping and sitting there staring at the walls because I believe that they have to use something to keep him coherent when he actually does do a presser because he's really lost in outer space. His cognitive reasoning, as we've talked in several of our podcasts, is really limited. He's really on the way out the door, unfortunately. And I've said it more than once, and I'll say it again, that it's very unfortunate that his family and other folks within the Democratic Party are willing to use this man. As a puppet? As a puppet for their own personal gain when they know full well that position is supposed to represent the over 300 million people plus in America. And they're not, and he's not. Correct. So yeah, who, no, whoever, yeah, whoever is in charge, it's not him. It's either uh, one of Mr. Obama's cronies or, you know, somebody else behind the scene, but he's not running this show. There's no way that he can be running this show. I mean, he, he no. wants to tell us two words and then he says three words and he wants to tell us one word and he says multiple and I, I'm making a reference to him saying two words, made in America. Yeah. Okay, that clearly wasn't two words. And then, uh, who is it? The congresswoman from Colorado makes fun of it and says, two words, let's go, Brandon. And she's making a joke on her Twitter account because the president has just erred in saying, you know, two words, made in America. And people point out how dumb she is. Clearly, there should be an educational requirement for Congress, et cetera, et cetera. But ignoring the fact that Biden was actually the one who made said error and she was just kind of making fun of it. Maybe they didn't know, but she was being a meme. She was was doing. She was being a, a a Twitter meme instance, but. It's just really interesting. So when I was reading about it, someone pointed out that Biden's error didn't make it into a lot of quote-unquote mainstream news outlets. So it is entirely possible that his entire voting block and his base, the Democratic base, who would never you know, listen to those conspiracy theorists for right-wing news organizations, but had no idea that Biden even makes these repeated errors because it's not the first time that he's done something like that. But we would point oh, out... That, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was agreeing with you, though. That just happens a lot, that news media outlets will skew things, just like Twitter and other social media outlets did during the election. They hid facts. They hid things that were really going on. And even though president, which I've never been one, will never be one, but they all have leaders within departments that help them make decisions. But, you know, there's no way that this man is cognitive enough to make multiple decisions on multiple things that are happening at one time. That is why our economy is tanking. That's why, you know, you go right down the list, which we've done and everybody else is doing every day. You know, the cost of groceries, the cost of gas, the cost of housing, the cost of wages. Uh, There's just no way. And these news media outlets need to actually show their true size, which is the First Amendment and telling the truth 
and they need to really let people know what's going on so we can fix this, even if it's putting another Democrat in his place. Unfortunately, the one he picked as his VP is probably not as smart as him, even in the condition he's currently in. Um, we have to go. But true. Yes, yes, we have to go with the next in line. Yeah, so we you get know, or, Biden or, or you to call, Harris you call the to election, yeah, to Pelosi. Pelosi. Yeah, you go from, you know, we don't want to get ourselves kicked off the internet. <laughs> No. So we got we got to be cool, calm, and professional about it. But you actually have three people that should not be in powerful leadership positions like they are. And unfortunately, we've dumbed down a big portion of society that elects these people and puts them into the positions they're in when they shouldn't be there. But we need to still backpedal a little bit and say, this is not working out, you know, two years in. There has to be a trigger, which we have one. 25th amendment. amendment. There's an amendment that'll fix this. At least it will start gonna, to fix it, yeah. It'll start the process. Maybe they're going to do that after the midterms. Yeah, there's rumors or, that he's not going to be running, so then they could try to push it off for another another two years. Can you imagine? Another two years. So they may say, well, if he declares that he's not running, we can just keep holding on to hope that we can make it to that end. Well, well, and it's the it's us middle class that are and lower class that are going to suffer even further because what it's doing is that's why we have minuscule 401ks and pensions and such right. and and they're steadily stripping them down to a below average level again to where this go round of people a little bit older than my age and my wife's age are not going to be able to sustain this battering that we're going through right now. No. How are you going to retire on nothing? How do you live off of half of nothing? And this is the vicious cycle. And I used to always reflect to, and, and don't hit me for this Walmart, but Walmart greeters were generally when it first started out, what they claimed were older retired folks that just wanted to do something for the rest of their, you know, working days or whatever the case may be. And what they were, I believe, is legitimately people that had pensions or had, you know, 401k retirement plans or some type of savings that was wiped out by another bad decision by a bad set of leaders in D.C. And they ended up having to dust their clothes off and come out of retirement in their 70s. So they can make enough money to pay their mortgages and eat. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. At the way uh, my 401k is going, and I know I'm not close to retirement age, I don't even know if it's ever going to get back to what it was just two years ago. Right. And even and that, that wasn't enough to retire on. I, I'm still young enough that I have to keep you know, putting away. But still, if you were ready to retire, there's no way. The... With that battering that we have taken and we continue to take, there is no way. Well, and this is just, if you look at the ebbs and flows and the trends, this is just one more cycle and an endless amount of cycles that are going to continue to go on. Unfortunately. And I'm done with my little rant. 
Okay, let's talk about a couple of other things that we can rant about. Sounds I know good. this is top of your mind. High heels. High heels on, their, on the top of your mind and why yeah. it matters. So we just had another natural disaster happened in Florida. Hurricane Ian hit and there has been some devastation. And as with many big natural disasters, oftentimes we see our leaders who are supposed to be our leaders, our leaders go and visit the hard hit regions. So we saw Jill Biden, Joe Biden, along with um, Governor DeSantis and his wife and, uh, and other top level officials going around touring the damage and giving their speeches and talking about how, you know, they're going to help. But one of the things that came up was the media ignoring the fact that Jill Biden was wearing a set of high heels when she got on the plane and when she got off the plane. And while this should not matter at all, whatever your shoe choice is, you can walk in high heels all day, good for you. Even when you're visiting a place that's been hit by a pretty bad hurricane. But in 2017, when Melania Trump was going with um, President Trump to visit Texas because they were hit by a hurricane, she was wearing a pair of high heels to get on Marine One. Now, when she got off of Air Force One, when she was actually in Texas, she was wearing a pair of sneakers. But because she had the audacity to be wearing a pair of high heels when she got on Marine One, there was a huge news story about her being out of touch with the rest of the world and the rest of the United States by wearing her, you know, model shoes. But Jill Biden wears a pair of high heels. Nobody says a thing about it. Nor should it be a news story, but I just wanted to point out the disparity for the hypocrisy. Yes, the hypocrisy and the disparity in news coverage. It again, I don't think it should be a news story, but you made it a news story four years ago, uh, five years ago now. But now it's just a non issue if the first lady wants to wear a pair of high heels to a storm damaged area. It's pathetic in my eyes. It is a non, it's a non news news story, as you said, but it's just pathetic. Okay. You know what? So what? Who cares if she went barefoot? Right. You know, whatever. It should have been a non story from the beginning. As long as she's there with her husband and he goes there with the full intent of helping out Florida in any way possible. It, it doesn't matter what your political views are. If they hate each other, they can play nice. They can take some of the government funding, send it to Florida, help out the people. Because it's not about the high heels. It's about the people that lost everything. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So are you ready to talk about a conspiracy theory? And no, it's not I about love- high heels. <laughs> I love conspiracy theories. Okay, so the New York Times wrote a very nice profile on an individual who was the CEO of a company who ran um, a election software. He was the CEO of Conic, K-O-N-N-E-C-H, Conic. 
And okay. he was attacked, according to the New York Times and others, but he was attacked because of conspiracy theories. And um, so individuals were saying that he, his company was a part of the entire conspiracy around hiding votes or flipping votes and that his election machine software was a part of fraud. And so there were claims that his company, um, him and his employees were the center of unfounded voter fraud claims and there were vicious threats, according to the New York Times. So they did this very nice... um, piece on him and his company to cover the misinformation, the disinformation, and dispel these conspiracy theories from a group of election deniers. So I'm not sure if you heard about this nice New York Times piece on the CEO. I had not. Yes. I had not. It was a very nice piece. It said, um, the title of it was, how a tiny elections company became a conspiracy theory target. Election deniers catapulted a Michigan firm which has 21 U.S. employees to the center of unfounded voter fraud claims, exposing it to vicious threats. So again, very nice piece. The next day, the CEO of the software company was arrested. Apparently, he was giving the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government backdoor access to the personal data of 2 million poll workers, which he was privy to because he was working in election software. So he was charged with suspicion of theft of poll worker information, and he was arrested in Los Angeles. Or, or not in Los Angeles, by Los Angeles County officials. So Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so apparently he wasn't doing anything. A claim so far is he had nothing to do with any wrongful information or switching of votes or anything like that, according to all of the election deniers, conspiracy theorists, etc. Mm. But he was on the side giving housing all of the poll worker data, 2 million poll workers, all of the poll worker data on Chinese Communist Party servers and handing all over all of the data over to them. Well, it's interesting. There's been report after report after report that China and Russia have gone out of their way to try to skew our elections. So if you have people within our own country giving them information, then it's completely possible and plausible that they're able to get in there and manipulate numbers. Right. So speaking of manipulating numbers in elections, what is the young person's name that is the speaker for Biden at the white house? Uh, Jean Pierre. Jean Pierre. I do believe that during the Trump Hillary election, she flat refused to acknowledge that Trump won the election. I believe she made some statements to the fact that uh, the election had to be crooked or Russia helped him or some facts to that nature. I also believe there was a couple of congressmen and women that wanted to go up when they were getting ready to count the votes, not during January 6th, this last election cycle, 
But prior to that, they didn't want to certify the vote because of the fact they felt that it was a, there was election fraud and votes were stolen and things were taken away. But when they make that statement, it has to be fact. When the other side makes that kind of statement, you are just non-believers and deniers. Okay, so I was looking as you were speaking to it. So it looks like that it looks like she did tweet in 2016 that let's see, stolen emails, stolen drone, stolen election. Welcome to the world of unprecedented Trump. Yeah, see. So she definitely definitely played a role in saying that he was not duly elected and that it was stolen, etc. So, yes, and I, I, I don't know yeah. the two congresswomen's name, but one of them is from Texas, and I do, do believe that her and a couple others tried to get votes that were supposed to be counted January 6th of their last cycle, and this was prior to Trump running for his second term. They tried to get stuff not certified or decertified, as not factual, but fraudulent. Yeah, I mean, just from looking at her public statements, and she was working for the Clinton campaign, um, not specifically at that time, but she had worked in different jobs. Uh, Flynn, Manafort, and the Donald himself inviting Russia to partake in espionage on our election, hashtag Putin love affair. Humor imitates life has been the story of this administration. Hashtag Trump Russia. Hashtag Trump lies. So uh, just over and never, over. Yeah, no, she just yeah, she, over and over again. She's never been asked or never been forced to retract any of those false statements and say, well, possibly I was wrong. Since it's now been proven that the Russia collusion was all a Hillary Clinton hoax. Okay, so she has claimed though that it would that it would be ridiculous to compare her own denial of Trump's election. She laughed it off. She was she was asked at one point by Peter Ducey about some of her 2016 tweets bemoaning Hillary Clinton's loss as a stolen election, but she just said I I know you were going to ask me this question, but then gives her, you know, her usual non-answers about it. So she doesn't really directly answer it just to say that the comparison is ridiculous. Well, of course, because that's something that a narcissist would say. Yeah. That you can't compare the two. You can't compare apples and apples. You got to compare apples and oranges. I'm the bigger orange. You're the smaller apple. Therefore, I'm right and you're wrong. And you'll always be wrong no matter what you say. <laughs> yeah, that's why I know that, you know, you look at that last election, it's a done deal. We got we to gotta work on the next one. Whoever is running on one side or the other, and you have to look at the fact that statisticians would look at numbers and say mathematically it was improbable the way it turned out. You can't take the very, and we've talked about this before in past podcasts. You can't take the fact of the first black president in America knowing our history in America 
and say that a man that was hidden in a basement for months and months garnered more votes than he did. Absolutely. I, I, I do not believe that he did. No, no. It, he, may, he may have won the election, but he did not win it by garnering more votes than the previous or the first black president. What they did was, like you have said multiple times, and we've had discussions outside of this podcast, is the fact you had social media outlets manipulating the truth. And when you take a lie and you make it the truth and people start believing that truth, then they start voting in a manner with which in a manner with which they wouldn't normally do. Right. So you had people believing the Trump Trump Russia collusion because it wasn't just 2016 that they were peddling that it got peddled all the way past 2020. And then you weren't allowed to talk about what Hunter Biden was doing. You weren't allowed to talk about the 10% for the big guy. You weren't allowed to talk about how many people um, Joe Biden met with while in office while VP how many foreigners he met with on for his son. You weren't allowed to even know that. You weren't allowed to question that. It got blocked. We don't talk about it. So that alone sways people uh, people's opinions. And then it's been shown if they fact check something, even if the fact check turns out to be false, that fact check sways people. And then they don't see what happens after that fact check. Because even if you come back and say, oops, sorry, we were wrong on the fact check, they don't see that. They only saw that initial fact check. No, and that's why old newspaper outlets, that's why when they knew they put a mistruth up, it would be on page one, you know, 10 paragraphs long. But when they retracted it, it would be on the very back. Next to the obituaries, yeah. Yes, next to the obituaries, one line wrong. Oops, we made a mistake. Sorry, have a great day. Next. Yeah. You know, proof in the pudding is like the former, uh, I don't know if he was mayor of New York or governor, the one that conveniently put people in rest homes that had COVID. Governor. Yeah, okay, he was governor. governor. And it was found it was Cuomo. found to be a very, yes, Cuomo, very bad thing to do. And it took a news media personality, a weather lady, that both of her parents, died were killed sorry let's just be honest they were killed because if you put sick people next to older healthy people but they're already in a facility or a home etc you are exposing them to risk and even if we didn't know how deadly it was we know that getting people 65 and over already inside of these homes Exposing them to this this risk is a higher risk than the normal population. And because of their Biden mafia style background, he was able to get away with it. Right, because he he exempted all of the homes and himself before he put people there. Why would you have to do that unless you knew what you were about to do? Unless they could forecast into the future and they potentially knew that this thing was going to turn south. And they wanted to make sure that they did have no culpability in their mistakes whatsoever. 
and that's the same thing that's unfortunately like you and I've talked about on multiple occasions going to happen with the Biden syndicate and little Hunter. They're waiting to run out the clock. They're going to come up with some type of plea deal and it's going to be a tax evasion type deal. It's not going to be, hey, he sold this doggone country out to the Chinese, the Ukrainians and the Russians. It's going yeah, to be that, be he, with that no. It's going to be that he cheated on his taxes when he should be charged under the Espionage Act, and him, his dad, his brother or his uncle, and any of his other family members that had any part in this, which Mr. Bobolinsky, who is a business partner and knows all, which I'm actually 100% surprised. The man's still alive and hasn't been Clinton yet. Uh, yeah. they, they need they need to be held to account. Well, and something, again, that they won't go after him for, but the failure to register as a foreign agent, I believe, is, you know, not more than five years in prison, something like quarter million dollar in fine or something like that, or both. He did not register as a foreign agent, and he was definitely making those connections and they're yeah, going to let the clock run out actually, on that, too. Yeah. That's what they found Paul Manafort guilty of. Right. So you find him guilty. So clearly we know you go after people for it. By you, I mean the government goes after people for it, but not him. And mark my Correct. words, if Republicans do flip the House and even the Senate, they still won't go after him. No, absolutely not. I mean, don't be dis. I want to disabuse any of our listeners of that. I would be shocked if they did, in fact, truly go after him. Not do their little dog and pony show, but truly go after him. Well, there, there's a handful of guys and gals, or I believe it would, but I believe you are correct that they will not go after him or the family. Well, so far, I mean, as the Democrats are in office right now and holding office, when Republicans do try to get any information, they're they're holding it, holding it, and not giving it out. So I wouldn't be right. surprised if any of those, you know, leaders of the Department of Justice and FBI, et cetera, still held on to those records too. Well, and this is another thing you and I talked about with that sort of stuff. When the next group gets into office, and there has to be some type of way, even even career people, how to force them out of these positions. You, you have to. You can't keep the cancer in there, go in and take office, and then expect to make things different and change things. And I think that's one thing that, that Trump learned the hard way is he didn't remove enough of the old skin from office. No, he definitely didn't. He didn't. And unfortunately, some of the people you can never remove because they they are not in appointed positions. You know, there's a lot to, to be said about what you can do for someone who's in an appointed position. But if you look at even the FBI who were in non-appointed positions saying how they were going to go after Trump or he'll never be president, etc. There are too many people who would need to not be in positions of trust around the president when they're supposed to be able to be in said positions of trust. We're not supposed to have opinions. Well, well unless there's the statutes office. or 
Right. Unless there's statutes or rules that require that a particular department has to remain in D.C. for whatever reason. Um, I wouldn't eliminate the person if they're that insulated. I would eliminate the entire department. And then I would make those folks, there has to be a means of changing careers or changing jobs or retiring. And I would make it so they have to apply for different locations, for different jobs, just like they made his life miserable for four years. And they still are now two years later for things I'm sure he did and did not do. I would reciprocate in kind. And I would surround myself with people that are willing to do the same. And that means if a field office that's full of people that did what they're doing to me is in uh, Wichita, Kansas, I would close the branch in Wichita, Kansas, and I would move it to Siberia. Can't blame me there. I really can't. I would just, I would find solutions because every rule that's written, these people have written backdoor ways to make changes. And and I would figure those out and I would put smart people around me that would make these changes. I would not allow this kind of stuff to continue. Just saying. No, you're just saying correctly. And okay, so I want to, I want to segue into some of these big name positions and one I will talk about is the teacher union teachers union president Randy Weingarten along with education which is another topic that we've brought up but one thing in education they cannot find enough qualified teachers now that they are hiring unqualified teachers we've already talked about learning loss on this podcast which has been huge and so these these congressmen, these congresswomen, these appointed physicians, some of the things that they're also also supposed to do is look into the education of our children and support the education of our children. But now we have a situation where we are having undereducated children, non-educated children. We're not even attempting to educate them on reading, writing, and math because the scores, our, our markers are going down. But... Randy Weingarten, who is the teachers' union president, is now claiming that the education in Ukraine is so important, she is going to go to the front lines of Ukraine after Russia bombarded them. That's where the important political types, because the teachers' union is political, the important political types are going so the terrible test scores in Los Angeles, Chicago, Detroit, New York, the Bay Area, and all little sprinkles in between are not as important as a little country of Ukraine. Right, and and not just not as important as she claims that she's going for those who are also going to have learning loss because the children are learning online today in Ukraine because of the war, she claims that this trip is so important. That is the kind of wrongful messaging. I I feel that it's wrongful messaging. I'm not saying that learning 
and children in Ukraine isn't important, but tell me what the top union leader who's supposed to be here supporting the United States children, she's not a war hero, no offense to anyone, she's not a war hero, she's not a subject matter expert on war, she's not a subject matter expert on you know strategy, but somehow the person who can't get it right here in the United States for teachers, for students, for learning, for, well, anything having to do with her job, She's going to go to the front lines of Ukraine and somehow make a difference. She doesn't belong there. She I just don't understand her connection. I like that. And that's who's, you know, fighting for your educational rights of teachers out there. Well, that's why so many people are going to homeschooling now and they're trying to get their kids out of the public school system. Because it's apparent, even though we have a shortage of teachers, and kids are being undereducated now. You have some parents across the country that can buy a program like what your daughters use, and they can actually teach their kids to understand reading, writing, arithmetic, and they become older kids who make it to college, and they become very productive members of society. So is it that I'm wrong that maybe uh, some teachers are overvalued? When you can take a parent that can do as good of a job, potentially, from home? Or am I totally misreading this? No, well, just going to kind of jump around. But what's really interesting is, yes, you can have, you can get programs out there that are, are done by highly educated individuals. And a lot of it is set up so you can give that information to your children and help your children. And there's online videos and programs and formatting, et cetera, where you can train your children um, and, and help teach them, even if you are not a subject matter expert yourself. But if we are also hiring undereducated individuals to teach our children, are we any worse off? And then we have this person as a leader, but that's a whole... But yeah, if we're already hiring undereducated individuals, I don't, I I see why a lot of people are leaving because this is the type of thing that we're getting into. Someone who's more concerned, I'm not saying that the war in Ukraine isn't an important issue, but it's definitely not in her wheelhouse. No. Um, I wonder, I wonder if maybe she has family in Ukraine or she is Ukrainian herself. And this is like an excuse to. This to get is over like there. an excuse to get over there. I don't know. I don't know her. I don't know her background, but I do know that she's made some rash comments about the governor of Florida, and he had to come back and retort because he basically said she has no idea what she's talking about, and the claims that she were making about the students in Florida were absolutely false because they were the very first school system that I believe either never closed during COVID or only closed for the initial two weeks. weeks. Yeah. And then, and then let the teachers, the leadership and the parents make the decisions as to whether they wanted their kids in school or not. And, and person for person, California had a super lockdown. We had super rules and regulations and we fared uh, death wise, I believe a little bit worse than Florida and other states. Yeah, we definitely didn't do better, that's for sure. Even though we were supposed to have done it right, we did it, quote-unquote, did it better. 
less lockdown, et cetera. We were supposed to, or more lockdown here, less lockdown there, but we were supposed to have done it right. And somehow we didn't, we didn't do it better. So. No, we all did it wrong across the nation, not only because we didn't know what we were dealing with, but because as you know, and I've said it before, we had a leader in that position that was too old, too stubborn, making too much money on the backside from this thing to make the correct decision. Absolutely. So sticking to education, but jumping to military, I want to know your opinion on this. So should a requirement of a military college be that a student cannot have a spouse or child in order to go and graduate from the college, like a Coast Guard college, should they be allowed to be married or have children? Yes. Yes. So the U.S. Coast Guard expelled a cadet who became a father while he was seeking his degree and his commissioning with the Coast Guard, and he ended up suing the academy after attempting to get reinstated as a cadet. And he was two months from graduating with his degree in mechanical engineering and his commissioning as an officer when he disclosed that he had a child with his fiance. And it was disclosed. His claim is he was never asked to disclose it until he was doing his paperwork to finalize his graduation and commissioning and duty station and all that. That's when he finally disclosed it. But it turns out that cadets were barred from having any maternal, paternal, maternal or paternal obligation or responsibility. So I just, I didn't know all of the back dealings with that, but apparently he has been dealing with this, this particular individual since 2014. He has been fighting to get his degree and to have his degree recognized because he was two years away from his or two months away, excuse me, two months away did, from his graduation when they decided fi- to kick him out. Did it? Fi- did he finally get it, or is he still fighting it? So they are. Um, I believe they are going to give him his degree, but it is still unclear exactly if they will give him his commission as an officer and back pay because that's what he was also fighting for. He actually ended up enlisting in the Coast Guard while he was fighting this whole thing. So he has been enlisted for eight years as he's been fighting to be recognized. Well, with the way all the rules and regulations have changed with the military over the recent short years, you know, allowing you to be gay or transgender or, you know, whatever, just pick an alphabet. Pick a, pick a letter. Something like that should also have been included in this whole rack of things, and it should not, he should not be excluded from what appears to be something that he's rightfully earned. Right. So, there, so far, I mean, just going over what has been released, he will receive his degree as a part of the settlement. They didn't complete like a trial or anything, but they decided to settle. He will receive his degree. But it was undisclosed, at least for what I read, on whether or not he will receive back pay and commissioning because he's now eight years into serving in the Coast Guard where he would have made more money had he been an officer. 
and not enlisted. So I just thought that that was interesting. And you bring up an excellent point. We will recognize everything else under the sun, but not the fact that he had a maternal or paternal, in his case, paternal obligation. That was just right. no dice. I mean, unless this is some ancient maritime law that goes back to like, the founding of America and when we put our first group of Coast Guard ships and sailors together, you know. And even if it does that, go back to our founding, I mean, women weren't allowed to serve for how long? Correct. Even be on a ship. So that that alone, like, we had all kinds of excuses for excluding people. Yeah. See, we have women in SF now. They're in Special Forces. They are running boats. They're running, flying airplanes. They're flying combat missions. I mean, that's why... I said, just pick a just pick a letter. Everything's changed. So this was this was a haste termination, in my opinion, and they should really rethink it. Maybe not pay him, you know, hundred percent. Go with him and say, hey, we'll give you fifty percent of your back pay, and we'll commission you. You would by now eight years, you'd probably be a lieutenant, lieutenant commander. We'll make you a lieutenant. Yep. See what happens from there. I agree. Yeah, that's that's the way I feel. I agree. So on the moving on to the topic of our greenness and green energy, we are seeing all over the world that right now we may be harmed by switching to green before we're actually ready to switch to green energy. But something that that I noticed uh, over the course of this last week was a call by the state of California to actually change how much parking is required um, for affordable housing units or in, near, around affordable housing units. And what that is, is they are, what Governor Newsom has said, that housing solutions also need to be climate solutions. So in order to reduce housing costs, for everyday Californians, they are going to reduce parking space availability because there was mandates that for every so many units you had to have so many parking spaces. Well, that the cost of a an affordable housing unit that has parking is higher than the affordable housing unit that doesn't have parking. But the laws they put on the books said you had to have so many parking spaces. Well, now they are California changing the law to say that you don't have to have as many parking spaces, therefore the cost of units will go down. And it's green energy because you make things more walkable, or you have to walk really is the case, and you have public transportation. So, long story long about this new California bill that was passed and signed. California, not too long ago, said that for every so many parking spaces you had to have electric charging stations to keep things green and to keep it electric. So now I find it funny that they're reducing the amount of parking spaces that someone has to provide, but we have this other law in the books that says if you go over so many parking spaces, you have to have more electric charging. Kind of like we are creating laws and then creating new laws to not even have to follow those laws that keep us green. Anyway. Well, it's because, like we say, they create the problem, and then they say... They are the solution. They are the solution. 
And they're not. And I'll give you a prime example. So up in Marin County, and I watched this on a, a DIY program, so I didn't come up with this. I just watched it. So this couple wanted to remodel their bathroom. Okay. So they go in. It's a small bathroom. It's maybe 8 by 10, if that. So they go start the permit process. They have a, a architect draw up the bathroom and how they want to make the changes. So the whole remodel is going to be about $9,000. Okay. So they go to the permit department in Marin County, come to find out the permits to remodel said bathroom are $8,800. Wow. Wow. $8,800 in permits just to remodel a bathroom. Just to remodel a bathroom. So that's why you have people that do things without permits and they make major mistakes because DIYers, although most of us are pretty good, there are some out there that are hacked, and that was the whole point originally behind the permitting process was so that they could have inspectors come out and take a look and make sure that if you were doing owner-builder, that you were building it to code, or if you had a contractor do it for you, they weren't taking advantage of you. The problem is now you have all these folks going in there seeing a cash cow or a awesome revenue generator and they pump these prices up so high nobody wants to do it so the point i'm getting at is now you have the same scenarios with parking slots in our community the big walmarts when you built a store like that you had to have x amount of stalls so you overbuilt and you put in too many stalls and then they didn't like it, so then you needed to downsize the stall, so you made them narrower. And then you needed, because you're putting in so much asphalt, you have to green it up, so you have to put so many trees every fourth or fifth stall. So now then you have trees that grow up. They start, their root systems start to eat up the asphalt, pull the asphalt up. So you're having less green because you have to have Asphalt companies come in, cut your stuff out, put new asphalt in. So it's just a vicious cycle to where these folks have no idea what the heck they're talking about or what they're doing. They're trying to create something out of nothing. And all it's doing is making everybody else miserable while they're generating revenue. If that rambling makes any sense. No, it does make sense. It's a part of what we say. They are creating the problem, and then they are offering they, the solution. They're offering a solution, which the solution is worse than what the problem originally was. Was in the first place, because they just come yeah. up with an idea and, oh, this sounds like a great idea, and it's not. And anyone with two brain cells to rub together can see it, but they just, oh, hey, it's a good idea, and then over and over again, keep, keep well, what, creating new solutions. Yeah, so what would be the ideal fit for affordable housing? is number one, you keep the permit costs down and you make it affordable. But everybody that has a house there, I'm sure wants to own a car because if they're in an affordable housing district, that means they have to drive somewhere to work. Well, and if so you look want... at, at some of what Fresno has done and Clovis, the houses kept moving out. And then our our lovely city council in, in Fresno 
decided over and over again to keep taking either what was supposed to be a park or commercial, and then they allow these developers to keep rezoning. And I mean, they're the ones approving the rezoning. And so you have houses that go out for miles and miles and miles. So even if it's affordable, you can't get to where you need to be without a car or taking several hours by bus if the bus is running out there to get to where you need to go. And they're inconvenient times. You can't get to anywhere conveniently for work. So it doesn't end up working out. You need a car. Correct. That's why if a unit is a hundred unit affordable housing project, then you have 100 parking stalls and you have at least 25 visitor stalls. Then you tell the developer, if you can't put that on this lot at an affordable price, then you, you downsize. No, you downsize the amount of units you put in there. Right. You don't do what you, the too many units, not enough space, too many units, not enough parking. You have to make it the right amount of units, the right amount of parking. And don't just say, well, people who don't make that much money, eh, they can walk. They can take the bus. They can, we're going to require almost that they use affordable housing or they have to find parking that's going to be six blocks from them. And they have to pay extra for a parking garage or a parking spot because inside the cities, they're making all of these mandates about where cars can be at any given time. So they, who are they harming? Who are they harming in their decision-making process? So basically, people in affordable housing or people who are middle or lower income are the ones that have to not have the car and not be able to affordably park and they're just expected to live a specific lifestyle laid out at the design of rich people. Right. And this is more into their model, I think, too. Now, I was just thinking while you were talking, is see, they, they being leadership, kind of like Newsom and them, then hope that if there is less stalls and there is nowhere to park, then the people in the affordable housing will take public transportation. And that creates a whole nother thing within itself because then you have people that supposedly need affordable housing, but they can't afford to take public transportation. So then you have to subsidize it. So then somebody else has to put the bill for it. So then you have to come up with grants. And then within these grants and these programs, you have to have people that run them. And the people that run them have to make six figures. In order to run them. Yeah, so you create a whole nother profit center for a person that, should be doing a legitimate job, you know, so it's just this big, this big cycle and this big circle that keeps going around and around and we never get to the correct place. True story. Yeah. Roger that. Just saying, just thought, just thoughts in my head. I'm a simple guy and I always have simple solutions and other people have big thoughts, big thought process. They come up with these big plans. But the big plans end up costing more than just being the simple guy and, they and don't having a work. simple solution. And they don't yeah. work. Yep. I'll take simple. Yep, yeah. I'll take simple solutions for two hundred, Alex. Absolutely. This has been a podcast produced and edited by the Dirt Sailor Duo. Mark and Shannon are a father-daughter team who both served in the United States Navy. This production is protected by copyright laws. Until next time, anchors away.